Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Today's reading is from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There we go. Can you hear me now? Uh, hey, uh, so we, uh, one thing before we get started, uh, I want to highlight one of the announcements. Um, we have, for like five years in a row, uh, been doing this neighborhood caroling thing. It's actually how our church got started. Um, I reached out to somebody that was part of our early plant community, and it just was crazy act of God. We had over 100 people there, and it's shrunk since, but it's been cool. So this year, I was like, you know what? Um, it, it, it was, uh, it was, it was, we were like, yeah, you know, we're going to do this thing. And then I, one of my good friends, uh, he came up to me and he said, hey, man, he's like, you guys do this caroling thing. He's like, my, he lost it. He's like, I lost my brother to suicide last year and I just want to do something. I want to give something back to the community. He's like, do you guys do that? Could I be a part of that? I was like, dude, could you just like lead us, like the community? Like, this doesn't need to be our church thing. Like, could you just, we want to like you to partner with you and want to give you the leadership of like leading this thing and and um, so we're just going to make this a big community event, uh, and we're going to invite the whole neighborhood out, and it's, we're just going to really casual but fun, um, meet outside Rockwell's Neighborhood Grill on the 16th, um, come at 4.30 for drinks and mingling, um, we'll be there at 5 to start caroling, we'll have songbooks, we'll go around to different homes, we'll be spreading the word, seeing if there's any neighbors that really could use the caroling, um, we'll be outside for an hour, just really warm, um, and uh, we'll come back to Rockwell's and hang out and have some more celebration and merriment and fun. And maybe we'll just sing a ton of carols in there. Who knows? Somebody bring a guitar, maybe a tuba. We'll see what happens, all right? So uh, that's that. Um, and so let's, let's get started with our message today. We are in a series called The Table, um, talking about hospitality in the kingdom of God this season. Um, and uh, Advent is a word that means coming. It means arrival. It's about Jesus' arrival. And throughout Scripture, uh, there's all these phrases that explain literally, word for word, why Jesus came. And last week, we looked at how Jesus came. Uh, that in the way Jesus came is he came eating and drinking. 
in the Gospel of Luke, there's over 50 different references to food just in the Gospel of Luke alone. You literally cannot end the book and not be hungry afterwards. Um, you're going to read it and be like, man, and as I mentioned last week, I think we should make a Gospel of Luke, and it should be a Palestinian Brad Pitt who's constantly eating, going around healing people. Um, but uh, so I really think uh, you're going to love this series as you've been in it. Um, this week, we're looking at not just how we came, eating and drinking with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, but we saw in the past, which you re- we read, well, why he came. Um, the why he came, it says that he came to seek and save the lost. Now, we live in a very postmodern culture. Um, the term lost is, some of you may be here, not a Christian. That word is weird language to you, right? Lost, that sounds offensive. But I want you to think about the value of the word lost and what it means. It doesn't mean um, that you're just immoral. Um, I would say some of the, the non-Christians in my life are some of the most moral people I know. They're, they fit somewhere in the middle of the bell curve of morality, right? Just like all of us, we're all in, in that boat on a journey. Um, but I would say that the, the cool thing about the word lost is it means that that person is on a quest, that person is on a, a journey. It also means, it shows, I love that Jesus just takes so much care in his language to show the value of people and the dignity of people. Um, the word lost means that he's actually looking for something. If you think about it, like have you ever like, forgotten your keys or something valuable? Like you don't know about them until automatically you remember them and then they're lost. Before that, it was just forgotten. And then you start seeking them, right? So the difference between lost and forgotten is the fact that like Jesus is seeking he's searching, doing whatever he can to find someone versus forgotten, that no one here is forgotten. And so Jesus is on this. We're going to talk about what does it mean to have hospitality with those who are not followers of Jesus. Now, that connotates like a weird word in our culture that Christians use called evangelism. How many of you kind of like get a little twitch in your like left side of your shoulder when you hear the word evangelism? Um, I kind of grew up in this time in church where you would go door to door you would knock on doors. You would say, can we come in? It was super weird. Um, not the mo- this is why the word evangelism is weird. It's kind of like, hey, can I come over to your seat in your house? And we're like, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And you're like, wait a minute, dude. Like, we just came over here, and now you're going to kill me. What is happening? Super weird. Um, but what we see is that we have a few options. I mean, because if you think about it, in our time, um, the values of our Christian culture, whether even the simple things, uh, is not really welcomed in the public sphere anymore. Um, it's kind of considered like, uh, it's, it's considered archaic at best and, and um, hate speech at worst. And so we, we kind of live in this weird place as Christians, like what do we do with the things that we feel like have brought us so much life, so much joy, so much happiness, um, so much transformation, how do we then go about and just let that flow out um, as just as who you are? Not in a showy way, not in a pushy way, but just in the fact that I just can't keep this inside and I need to tell you about it. So we have a couple of options. One, we just don't. We hunker down. We get into our little, you know, kind of, I think of like the, 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 basically like you just get hunkered into this very small Christian culture. You don't uh, expand. You don't share anything. You keep it very silent. You go to your barista and you're like, what'd you do today? Well, oh, it's Sunday, but you don't bring up the fact that you went to church. Um, you just kind of keep that part private. Or an option two is you edit. You edit the message to fit a kind of more progressive world we live in. You figure out how can you edit this message. Um, edit who Jesus is and what he came to be so you don't feel like crazy. Um, or I think there's option C. I think there's an option where we look back that has actually been the method of the way Jesus came to seek and save the lost, which is, again, how did he come? How did he come? Eating and drinking. So he came eating and drinking. And so uh, that's what, guys, how many of you eat 21 meals a day? 
I mean, a day. Whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> 21 meals a week. Yeah, 21 meals a day. Um, 21 meals a week. Each one of you, most of you, eat around 19 to 21 meals a week. And so you have an opportunity for this. Um, so yeah, let's just dive in. Um, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus meeting Zacchaeus. Now, let's just dive right back in, read through it line by line. Um, it says that Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho was this um, port city, 18 miles east of Jerusalem. It would have been a place where that the, the imports of, of the Roman world could have come in, and this is where tax collectors and trade and all those things would have happened. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus means righteous one, ironically enough. He's not very righteous. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Uh, and later on, it says that he was a sinner. Now, we remember sinner is a label for social outcast in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and so, basically, uh, you need to understand how radical it is that Jesus ate this meal with Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, as most of you know. Um, this is a story that every Sunday school flannel board, you guys remember flannel board, any of you? Okay, so yeah, I, oh yeah, this is just straight Sunday school story. So it's easy for you to zone out and be like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he? So if you've never been to church, like, just please, like, ignore that part. It's just super weird. There's a little story, a little song, um, but it's known to every child who spent some time. But to the original hearers, this was not a cute story. This was a very dangerous story. This was a scandalous story. It wasn't cute. It wasn't fun. It was one of the most scandalous stories of the New Testament. Jesus accepting the chief tax collector is even more ridiculous than him climbing in a sycamore tree. And here's why. He was a chief tax collector. Now, we talked a little bit about tax collectors last week. Remember, Rome, here, here's a little like, cultural history for you. Rome basically, uh, it, basically gave up the, the practice of taxes and made it a private enterprise. So you, whoever the highest bidder was, was, could win the role of collecting taxes for Rome. So obviously Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, had a ton of money, rich, millionaire, billionaire of his time probably. Uh, they sold the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder, who himself would then farm out the work of collecting taxes to others. Now we read so far in the story about tax collectors, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. Think original Amway pyramid scheme structure. <laughs> All those things that are awkward, we go to somebody's house like, wait, I thought we were going to have fun. Yeah, buy this. Um, it was basically a pyramid scheme where basically Zacchaeus is at the top of the pyramid scheme, and he is basically then getting cuts from everybody underneath him. Um, but not only that, they were raising taxes. So if you got, Peter catches a fish, he comes through, he's like, oh, it's supposed to be 20%. Well, the tax collector would say it's 40% for you. And they would take 20% and then give the rest of 20% to Rome. Now, that sounds dirty. It gets even dirtier. You got to remember, all of this money is for the expansion of the Roman government, which was oppressing the Jewish people. So it's basically like you're raising funds as a Jewish person, now in cahoots with the Roman government, basically destroying our people. So this would be like the equivalent is not like IRS, prostitutes even, we have mercy for those people. The equivalent today would be pedophile. Um, going, Jesus having a dinner with a pedof someone struggling with pedophilia. It would be this equivalent of Jesus taking a white nationalist from Charlottesville and saying, hey, let's have Christmas dinner. It's all over Instagram, and here's Jesus opening presents with the guy. And then you got, like, just even go further. I mean, someone from ISIS, and Jesus is there, like, 
on the beach throwing catch. You know, it's like, I don't know, like, because dinner, dinners back then were the most intimate of meals. They were way more intimate than now. They were something you did with kin, with um, family, with relatives. It was the most intimate of practices. This would have been completely scandalous. And here's Zacchaeus, and he's got this crazy, vibrant exploitation trade, and he's very successful, and he's a trader, and he's got shameless exploitation of his own people, and it says that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Now, it doesn't say why he wants to see Jesus. We don't know if he's heard of Jesus. We don't know if he's, um, why, why it is that he's seeking after him. What we do know is that, uh, that he's probably heard of his ministry, and you got to remember, this Zacchaeus is rich, and he's just flat out hated because of his, I mean, this would be, and he was short, so imagine like Danny DeVito climbing in a tree, like, or, uh, or Jeff Bezos, probably, but except like a really corrupt Jeff Bezos. By the way, if you didn't know, it's supposed to be called Relentless. If you go to relentless.com, it still goes to Amazon. It's crazy. Anyways, getting sidetracked. But Jeff Bezos climbing in a tree, and here he is. Now, now, why did he do that? First of all, the crowd would have been a barrier. I think that the crowd, is, he could, they didn't make room for him because he was hated. So he's wanting to see Jesus. He has no room, but he's determined to go see Jesus. And so he just wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus, but Jesus has completely different ideas. And he spots Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name. Um, could have been through just the power of Jesus' divinity, power of the Holy Spirit, more than likely, probably because of Zacchaeus and his notoriety, uh, because of who he was. He had a reputation. Jesus invites, and then Jesus has the audacity to invite himself over to Zacchaeus' house. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. I must eat with you. Now, real quick, really cool thing going on here. Um, ancient literature, uh, they did, our kind of like humor is sarcasm. Um, they used irony. We don't really get irony, but the writers, this would have been humorous. Like, Luke is like constantly having you read this, and you would have been going like this all the time. Um, basically, um, you got Zacchaeus who's short. He climbs up in a tree. Jesus comes over, looks at up at the tree, says, come down. And it's so, like you're basically going up and down. So there's this irony there of the fact that like of importance and humility and Advent, the way Jesus came, he came down humble, left all of his riches, came down to become poor, and calls all of us to come down, come down from our self-righteousness and greed, and says, come, be humble, receive who I am. And so Zacchaeus here um, comes over. Now, I just want to pause there. This crazy thing that Jesus does. Now, remember, he's hated. What does Jesus do? He takes someone who's hated, who probably never ate with a lot of people, probably ate a lot of amazing meals with all his money, Probably didn't eat a ate alone a lot, though. Um, but Jesus makes Zacchaeus the host. You see, he says, I'm coming over to your house. Jesus takes him as, as instead of being guest, Jesus basically puts him in the, Jesus himself in the role of guest and Zacchaeus in the role of host. And this is very powerful in our day and age. I think this is very important for us to see and practice for us today, Missio Day. It's very important for us to not play the role of host so much as the role of guest. That if we are going to reach Chicago... Most of my experience with loving on my neighbors is not so much of me playing host, but being willing to be loved and neighbored by other people that are outside the faith. Um, going over to their house, eating their food, hanging out with them, extending, being, accepting their invitations, saying yes again and again and again. And I think even within those on the margin, as we minister to those on the margins, it's extremely important for us not to play the role of host, but to empower them as the host as we are served as the guest. Does that make sense? Um, and so what Jesus does is radical. Just a few quotes about that um, that I wanted you to see. Uh, first of all, um, I love this quote from a South African theologian. He was an activist. He was a pastor. Alan Bosak, the pinnacle of lovelessness is not our unwillingness to be a neighbor to someone, 
but our unwillingness to allow them to be a neighbor to us. Read that again. The pinnacle of lovelessness is not our unwillingness to be a neighbor to someone, but our unwillingness to allow them to be a neighbor to us. This is just a beautiful picture. Um, Christine Pohl wrote a beautiful book on hospitality. Highly recommend it. She says this, an important transformation occurs when people without power or status have the opportunity to be more than guests, when they can be hosts. It is a time when their contributions can be recognized and when they are not defined first by their needs. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, Zacchaeus, I affirm you of your value and you have something to offer that is valuable to society in a society that says you're no longer valuable. Radical, radical stuff. And so in the welcome, Zacchaeus is transformed. And so uh, this was the practice of church history. Um, The gospel spread house to house to house, one meal at a time, one batch of hummus, one batch of rice, one batch of wine and bread at a time. The gospel spread. And so Jesus' proposal grates all who are present. They grumble, as Kate read so beautifully, They complained, who is this guy, a sinner? Some people call this prayer request, right? Where you're like, oh, so-and-so, can't believe this happened, right? They're grumbling. But the first thing that comes out of Jesus, as Zacchaeus' mouth, is a plan that bears fruit. He acknowledges Jesus as Lord, first of all. Zacchaeus then resolves to give half his possessions to the poor and to pay a fourfold restitution to anyone who he has cheated. That's amazing. This compensation is more than adequate and fair. Um, So basically, he had all this uh, injustice practice. He had stolen a lot from a lot of people. He says, I'm going to return that fourfold, which is 20% more than the law of God required. Um, And I just think that's something beautiful that, like, something I think is important for us to think about is just, this is a whole other conversation, but thinking about what's legal and what is right. Sometimes what is legal is not always what is right, and there's God's way of doing things that are, that are legal, but they're not always God's way. Whole other thing to meditate on. Go home and eat, about, eat and think about that one, all right? Um, but uh, he does this, and then Zacchaeus relinquishes his possessions, and then we see the result of his salvation is this. This isn't his salvation, him doing this, but it is a result of him coming to know Jesus. And so Jesus' response is not only for Zacchaeus, but for all to hear. He declares him saved. Today, salvation is here to Zacchaeus and for all to hear. And so Jesus reinstates his place in the family of Israel. He says, you're now a son of Abraham, just like everybody else. Radical. The outcast of outcasts is now restored wholly, communally, spiritually, physically, financially. And this is Jesus' mission for everyone to have access that everyone has access to God no matter who you are, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You know this, you've probably heard this, but there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. But you need to hear it again. That no matter who you are, there's no rupture in his relationship too big that he can't repair. There's nothing you can do that is beyond repair. Like, if you did something this weekend that you're like, God could never love me, why am I here at church? God can love you. He already does love you. He loves you exactly as you are and offers repentance and forgiveness and is constantly available. And it takes this divine initiative of Jesus and this humble response of coming down just like Zacchaeus. So um, what does this mean for us? I just want to talk about two things. Um, One, I just think it's important to do a little caveat here um, because the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' teachings, he talks about money over 30% of Jesus' teachings are about money. Now, in our culture, we have a really hard time talking about money. 
uh, we think it's dirty, we think it's bad, we think negative connotations of it, we have a lot of shame about money, um, we have a lot of misconceptions about money. But before this passage, Jesus just went to the rich young ruler and said, hey, give everything, all of your possessions, and come follow me. And so the rich young ruler went away sad. And then he said, it's impossible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, so it is with a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. But then he says, but with God, the impossible is possible. So what Jesus is doing here with Zacchaeus is he's fulfilling that. He's showing the, the, the fact that he, anything is possible with God, that he can save anyone. Um, just again, he's doing that with the whole tax collector thing, now chief tax collector. He's like, it's just getting bigger and crazier. And the important thing here is never timestamp someone. Never timestamp someone and say, well, that's who they are. They'll never change. That's what they are like. That's who they are. No, never timestamp someone thinking that they cannot be transformed. Who have you given up on that you could say that God could never, ever meet? God could never transform. I just met with one of my good friends. Um, he, he, he looks at me and he says, I need to talk to you. God's doing something in my life. He goes, I've built an entire identity around hating Christians. He's like, I'm like the Bill Maher. Like I ha- I've built an identity around this and God's doing something in my life. God can meet your friend. He can meet your family member. God can do the impossible, never timestamp someone thinking that they are beyond repair. But I got ahead of myself, back to money. All right. Um, so what here we see here is G- Jesus, because Jesus is Lord, um, we got to remember Jesus talks a lot about money, wealth, possessions. And I want you to see that God both loves the rich and the poor. He shows grace to the rich and the poor, and the church needs both the rich and the poor. Like, there's uh, two extremes of pastors, teachers, leaders, of teachings that are at odds with each other, that conflict with each other, that are polar opposites when it comes to money, wealth, and possessions. On one side, there's this prosperity theology. Uh, And then on the other side, there's a poverty theology. Both are very popular, very critical of each other. Prosperity theology says the more you love God, the more he will give you. That if you, if you have enough faith, um, basically you can curry favor with God and stuff will fall out of the sky and your life will be easy. That's the prosperity theology at the extreme. The opposite is kind of one we don't talk about much is poverty theology. Poverty theology is that like, the less you have, the closer you are to God, that money, wealth, and possessions for the Christians, like a kryptonite for Superman, so just stay away. And if you have it, you need to get rid of it. Um, you need to make sure you don't have any of it. You need to, that's, that's evil. Um, but God does not want us to pursue prosperity or poverty theology. He wants us to be good stewards, whether you're rich or poor. He wants us to be generous, whether you're rich or poor. He wants us, like Zacchaeus, to do restitution to anything we've stolen, no matter whether you're rich or poor. And so uh, I love that uh, he wants us to know that our righteousness is in Jesus alone. It isn't Jesus not in our riches or in our poverty. So those who like hold a prosperity theology, they'll pull out a bunch of scriptures and say, look at all these people who are wealthy and love Jesus. Then those on the poverty theology side, well, I look at all these poor people who are wealthy and love Jesus. And the problem is, is there's not two kinds of people in the Bible, economically speaking. There's four kinds. Um, let me just show you real quick. Let's first start with those who are unrighteous and wealthy. Would you agree with me that Zacchaeus, before he met Jesus, was unrighteous and wealthy? right? So Zacchaeus, he's stolen, he's corrupt, he's exploited, he's practices of injustice. He's gotten his money basically off the backs of poor people, and he didn't give to God. He got his riches through dishonest gain. Now, righteous and rich, another category. Once Zacchaeus has met Jesus, what did he become? Righteous and rich. In his act of repentance and restitution, 
he now acted righteous. He gave 50% of his income away. Very generous. Now, now, some of you have gotten your wealth not unrighteously, but righteously through working hard, uh, being a good investor, and you're good stewards. You're generous to your family. You help others. Anytime you see needs, you give to them. You're, you're rich and righteous. And that God blesses you. Money can be a way of showing hospitality. You don't need to feel guilty about being rich. Just be a good steward of what you have. Be faithful. Be sacrificial. Um, give as it would hurt, just like anybody else. Now, that's, money can be used as good. It can be used to, show, to, to make this church happen, as you know. Um, sometimes when we give, it's an act of hospitality. It's an act of making room for another. Now we see a third category of righteous and poor. Who in this passage is righteous and poor? Jesus. Jesus was homeless. He didn't have a home. Zacchaeus is like, Jesus is like, I'm coming to your house because you're rich. I'm homeless. <laughs> he, is, he doesn't have anything. Jesus is chosen, not, not because he's lazy, not because he didn't work a job. He had a job. It was to atone for the sins of the world. Pretty big job. <laughs> and he, uh, he wasn't lazy. He didn't have a family to provide for. So he was the first radical minimalist in the minimalist movement. He decided, I'm going to live a minimal life. I'm going to go around and I'm going to live off the generosity of others and I'm going to live really simply, and I don't have a family to take care of. Due to injustice, even during Advent, he was forced into poverty. Herod said, I'm going to kill all the firstborn males. Due to a systemic injustice, he was righteous and poor. He was basically forced to be born in a feeding trough, as we sung about. Gave up all riches. I guess you could technically say he was in the first category. He was righteous and rich and before his incarnation, and now he's righteous and poor in his incarnation. Lastly, unrighteous and poor, you got the Proverbs, the sluggard who won't work. All throughout Scripture talks about um, the person who steals from their employer. They're not working hard. There's people, and I think this is something to think about for us just as a corrective word of our culture. Um, we don't probably think of stealing, but uh, how many of us spend hours on social media during our work hours? Just think about that. There's, there's a form of, of taking from your employer, being a hard worker, working hard. I know that's can't say amen, say ouch, but there's a sense of like, dude, there's a point of like, do we, are we responsible? Are we hard workers? Are we stealing from our employers in ways we're not thinking about? And then there's ways that you're poor and unrighteous just because you're born into a, the wrong place and the wrong family due to systemic injustice, and you just so happen to not know God. Does that make sense? So we see here that really, basically, there's no, um, there's no like, like, factor of money and spirituality, there's no like direct correlation. Does that make sense? But there is a direct correlation of if you love God, you will be generous. You will be a good steward no matter where you are. Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, is one of the most generous states in the entire country, and it is the poorest state in the entire country. Um, and so we know his, statistically poor people give more than the rich proportionately. Um, so we just see generosity through and through. Now, I want to say this, did Zacchaeus experience real change? Is this like some story that happened really fast and then he like went on? I think this is amazing. You got to think about what, God, this is written 30 years after Jesus. Zacchaeus, I believe, was in the early church community as a leader. Um, I did a little research. Church history shows Clement of Alexandria says that he became a bishop of Caesarea. This guy becomes a pastor. He was a tax collector, a chief tax collector, and now he's a pastor of pastors. And so I think when he's writing this, they would have been like, oh, yo, Zacchaeus, you're in there. Look at it. And they're telling the crazy stories of transformation. 
that this really did lead to transformation. It led to lifelong change. Can you imagine a testimony? This is amazing. By the grace of God in the future, it is not who we will be, that we will one day become who God imagines us to be. Now, lastly, just real quick, as I close, um, I'm going to talk about hospitality and with the lost. Now, we need to recapture this radical hospitality um, that, that the, meth, the, the way the church grew, by the third uh, century, uh, Constantine had to make the Christianity the official religion. There's a lot of like, mixed opinions about that. But one, most, most historians think this, that the poor marginalized Christians got to such big population that they began to have to put political pressure on the empire. And he had to include them to get their vote and so he made, to get their support. So he made them the official religion. How did the Christianity go from 12 dudes and some women hanging around with Jesus to thousands and millions of Christ followers? It was one house at a time, one meal at a time, one great bottle of, of wine at a time, one great thing of bread at a time. It was meal to meal to meal. We've got to recapture this practice, church. We've got to repack. Now, some of us make excuses for not being hospitable. Um, some of you are like, ah, I can't cook. There's a thing called Wi-Fi, a thing called Google. Just be like, guacamole, right? <laughs> Type it in. There's four ingredients. You make it. It's that easy. Some of you are like, well, I got kids that go to bed early. So have them over. Like, we have people come over, and it's crazy. You know, it's like they're, they're single, there are no kids, and you're like, they either like sit there and toil their phones the whole time, or they get jumped involved, and they read a story with their kids. Great. They get to see how we parent. We all have excuses. We all make excuses, but man, the gospel, I love what Rosaria Butterfield said. Um, we said that the gospel comes with a house key. She wrote this book and talks about how she became a Christian. Um, Rosaria Butterfield was uh, a woman who was, uh, she's, she's a lesbian. She's part of the LGBTQ community. And then she w- is writing articles to want to um, show the, the awkward weirdness of this men's conference that she wanted to push against and kind of basically tear down. And so she wrote, writes this article, this, this article filled with a lot of hatred towards this Christian men's conference. And a pastor reaches out to her and says, will you come over to dinner? She says, she's got to do all this research anyway. She's like, this will be great research for me. I got to do these interviews with these people. So she's like, I'll come over. More fuel for my fire. But then she just sees all this love and hospitality. She comes to another meal and to another meal and then to a church and then to a small group. Now she's married to a reformed pastor in New England and a Christ follower. All throughout the practice of hospitality. They run a commune out of their home, basically have people in and out of their home practicing hospitality, transformation. And basically the life message of her life is this, that the LGBTQ community is so much better at showing hospitality than the church that they have taken our practice and basically adopted it and are outdoing us royally. <laughs> and so I think if we want to see the kingdom of God spread, we have to have hospitality with the lost. Now, um, one, one way we try to do this as a church is through Alpha. Uh, around the end of January, beginning of February, we're going to be running Alpha. Alpha is a basically hospitality. It's basically come over, have an amazing meal. We're going to serve you. It's going to be the best meal. It's going to be great. We're going to just hang out. We're going to talk about questions, doubts you have about the faith. Um, so you need to know, in, in the January, February, we're going to have a big launch event. Um, you need to be 
praying for those in your life now, preparing them now, having conversations with them now, having dinners with them now, so that you can come with your friend to the launch event, so that they can, if, so that you can begin to just pray for opportunities to share about this. Now, not the alpha is the quick fix for you. Like, you need to be doing this with your neighbors, with your friends. Um, this is a part of who you are as an individual. But we also, as a church, collectively want to create space for this and make this a priority. So between now and the end of January, something for you to be praying about and pressing into. Like I said, we eat 21 meals a week. You guys have a lot. This isn't something to add into your schedule. You don't need a spiritual answer for everything. All you need is a table. It doesn't even have to be yours. Go find your Zacchaeus and invite yourself over, all right? Um, Go find someone. No bait and switch. No ulterior motive. Just, man, you just, you be who you are. You love Jesus. You be who you are. And you press into that, and the questions come up, and you just be honest with where you're at, and you engage, and you love. It's that simple, right? Hard but simple. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this community. We thank you that this church has always been a desire to have diversity spiritually, that there's people here all over the map in this room, people who are not Christians, people who are seeking, people who have been following Jesus for a really long time. We pray you continue to uh, help us on our journey. God, you came to seek and save the lost. And that term is a term of value. That there is not so much, I think the lost is really just people who are not yet believers. People who God has already planned to hear the good news. So God, we pray that you would make us a hospitable people. A people open a people that we would become the guest in other people's seats of honor, that we would um, begin to learn from and embrace the other. So God, would you make us a generous people with our time, with our table, with our resources, as you came to seek and save the lost, and you came eating and drinking. In Jesus' name we pray.